Hello, friends. This is Michael from Hannigan Media, and I am in the courtroom of Henderson County Judge Wade McKinney. Glad to be in the courtroom because yes. last week we had to do it via Zoom, and I'm not a big fan of that. Um, as I'm old. You know, I know everybody else seems no, to be doing no, you know, no, 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 I am. I You're am becoming old. a classic. Classic. I classic. like that. That's much classic. better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with all of the stuff that I do online and the social media and the writing and everything that I do and the emails – the the whole meeting through a computer screen just it, doesn't work well for it me. It is different. You know, you do not have that dynamic of being able to that give and take that happens. We there's have more fun missing. when we're in the same room together. Yeah, there's definitely something missing. All right. So we're gonna get down to this guys. We had a lot to cover this week, uh, including the start of the year, some new rules about subdivisions or at least uh, 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 that's in the works. We've got some big news for the Child Advocacy Center. And, of course, we need to update what's going on with COVID and the vaccine. But let's get started with the fact, Judge, it's January. And for the county, that's a really important time. It is. That is the beginning of our budget year. You know, many of the governmental organizations have their physical year not align with the calendar, be it a, a September start, October 1 start, something like that. But ours lines up with the calendar. January 1 is the start of our new fiscal year. All right. So the money for this year been budgeted, gets started now. Um like you said, it's almost like the starting line. Boom, go. Right. We're, we're underway. Here's the thing that's always interesting to me about the county, though. How long before you start budgeting for next year? <laughs> well, we really never stop in some regards. I mean, it's a process that requires the effort of really the entire organization when you have all the different departments. And... Uh, April, May is when we will start the discussion of get your information together so then we can begin our actual budget hearings again in July on after July 4th. Now, constitutionally, that's your biggest thing is the budget. It is. Um, the county judge in all counties is the um, chief budget officer that is in charge of or tasked with the responsibility is really a better term of presenting a proposed budget to the commissioner's court which then will amend, change, add to, take away, and then adopt a budget for the coming year. All right, and I've attended I, I don't know how many commissioners' <laughs> courts meetings I've attended in my career, but I've attended a few. Um, and one of the big things you do every uh, meeting at the end is you go through and you do bills and you do budget amendments and all of that. And it's a weekly um, event for you and commissioners court to be drilled down into your budget. It really is. See, county government, at least in your smaller counties, does not have a city manager or a, a superintendent such as a school district does. County court, commissioners court is that they share that responsibility of being responsible for every single expenditure, and they vote on that. And they have to know, be it myself or the four commissioners, of just exactly what the financial position is involving just about everything that runs through the court. We have to approve every single expenditure. 
So that actually comes down to some interesting stuff that um, you've heard me complain about. <laughs> I, I will be right up front. <laughs> I, I have complained and complained about this at times. But there are occasions where you'll come to commissioner's court and there'll be something as simple as one department transferring some computers to another department. Yes. But commissioner's court actually has to approve that because it's related to the budget. It really is. The commissioner's court uh, touches every aspect of the budget. And when there was this certain set of label printers, and if anyone that has been around us see <laughs> bouncing your head, there was a set of label printers that was in vogue and very well used for a number of years. But with the advancement in technology, I don't know how many that we had in different departments, but they, we passed those around for years. There were 30 of them, I believe. And every time one department would get done and pass them to another, it would have to take a simple vote of the court to transfer that asset from that department to the other because you have to remember each individual department is siloed whereas that it is its own entity within the county budget so there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of accounting issues that come into play when you're designed that way so th that's really interesting. So let's let's do this real quick. We're, we're going off a little bit on the side, but I think this is important because as you and I talk many times, you know, there's a lot of confusion about how county government works. So if you're at a city, whatever city it is, the city council is over the city and you've got multiple departments. You've mm -hmm. got the police department. You've got the sewer. You've got all those different things. But all of those things are part of the city. You only vote for city council. Right. You don't vote for the police chief. Right. That's not the way it works in county government. In county government, the sheriff gets voted for and is his own entity. The district attorney gets voted for and is his own or her own entity. Correct. The district clerk, the county clerk, each gets a, a voted for. Each is their own entity, and so they're not really departments in the county. That's right. It's a collection of of related governmental agencies under the umbrella of being the county. That's exactly right. Uh, following that same analogy, all of the department heads in a city government work for the city. The majority of the department heads in the county do not work for the county. They work for the public. Correct. The public is the one that puts them in office. They are not hired by the commissioner's court. And that is a huge difference between the two types of governance. So to bring it back around, you're talking about the label makers. Exactly. All right. So if I'm at the sheriff's department and the sheriff sends the pet label makers down the, down the corridor to like the investigators, who cares? Right. It's inside the department. However, if he sends those same label makers to the district attorney's office, it has to go through the county, uh, the, the commissioner's court because it's literally going from one governmental agency to a completely different governmental agency. Exactly. It can be something, as we've said, as simple as a label maker or a surplus vehicle. That process has to take place no. at every step. My favorite was the filing cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> when I when I had to sit through commissioner's court, so a filing cabinet could get sent yes. from like the district clerk to the county clerk. That right. got me a little upset, but I understand. Yeah. I understand why. Yeah. I understand why. It, it's all based, and I've spoke about this for years. The 
county government is based off of the Texas Constitution, and the con- Texas Constitution is a very restrictive constitution, just complete opposite of the United of the U.S. Constitution. Whereas that, if it doesn't speak to it in the document itself of limiting powers, you can do it in the U.S. But in Texas, it's the opposite. You can only do what is written, and that governs all of this and gets down into the nuances where everything has to be checked off. Right, and so that's where we come back to county, and this is we. January is starting it. Everybody's working on the budget, but it takes a lot of communication because although everybody's on the same budget, they're actually independent budgets at the same time that they're not independent budgets. (laughs) And and it gets really kind of complicated at times. And that's why relationships, I've said it. You hear me say it all the time. It county government runs upon relationships between elected officials all right so there you go friends that is your primer uh, on county government and how your county government works and why sometimes it seems a little nuts uh, <laughs> you know but I, I i've been watching this for a long time now and it still seems a little nuts to me <laughs> sorry sorry judge okay not, not even a present company excluded not even a present company excluded i've seen you just you're you've been doing it so long you just do the gavel and do the thing and you just think okay it's absolutely normal that we just had to put on the county agenda that we like moved a rubber stamp from one department to the next i wish everybody understood just how long you and i have argued about this back and forth over the years Mm -hmm. all (laughs) right so let's move on uh really now that was an interesting discussion right but we're talking about moving cabinets which doesn't seem very important here's something that's really important and involved again multiple agencies within the county um and that's the approval by commissioner's court to allow Sheriff Hillhouse to place a full-time deputy with the Maggie's House yes. Child Advocacy Center, which is part of the Henderson County Help Center. Yeah, and it is. It's it's a great thing that got to come together this week in court. Um, having an investigator in place with such an important entity, nonprofit entity that does such great work in the county when it comes to crimes against children. It took the steps and the discussions between a nonprofit organization, the sheriff's department, prosecutors in the county, and commissioner's court working together to lay all of this out so that we can get a final approval, so that funding is in place and understanding of operations are in place. It's not just something that the sheriff could do offhand, say, this is what this individual is going to be doing. So it takes that interaction between all of them. And uh, we are very proud to be a part of being able to bring this because, as was said in court by Ms. Saunders, there were 311 investigations on crimes against children in Henderson County last year. Almost one a day. Almost one a day. And if that doesn't really drive it home, and you have to understand that this is a specialized um, type of investigations that have to take place. And by having that asset available, 
you get it on the spot, get it there instead of time passing between an outcry until an investigation can can actually take place. Not only that, in assisting with some of the smaller entities in the county that do not have the resources or the training, having that asset on site in place helps the county, helps all the other um, agencies in the area try to do what we all want to do, and it's to help these children. So for people who don't understand, the Child Advocacy Center is part of the Help Center. And the Child Advocacy Center, what it, one of its main uh, jobs is to provide forensic interviewers. And so what happens is there's a child that makes an outcry um, or something happens where this child has been abused, a lot of the times, unfortunately, sexually abused. Yes. And there's a need to interview these children and get the information out of them. But at the same time, we don't want to cause any more damage. We don't want to hurt right. the children anymore. We don't want to traumatize them any more than they already have been. And so the Help Center, through the Child Advocacy Center, has um, interviewers who are trained to be able to do this. Right. And so when law enforcement in Henderson County has this kind of case, they'll bring a child to the Child Advocacy Center where they get interviewed, mm -hmm. and then that interview is recorded or whatever, and then all the parties can use it. The child only goes through once. One of the issues here is these are very complicated very much. cases. Yeah. And we have multiple agencies in our county that, um, you know, because of money mostly. Right are um, just able to do their normal stuff. I mean, they're right. out there doing calls. They're, they're, they're doing the day-to-day -day policing right. of a community. And to take an employee, take an officer off the street for, you know, the extended amount of time it takes to do one of these cases, no matter how important the case is, that doesn't work really well for those agencies. Exactly. And one thing, um, our new district attorney, um, Ms. Palmer coming in, dedicating a prosecutor to being able to address these is, is another point where you have the training at the um, advocacy, you have the investigator there, and we have a dedicated prosecutor now so that we can address these head on. And over the years, as you say, these smaller entities without the – they're struggling in many ways just to have a presence on the street right. because they're, they're small entities. And if we can stand these up and make this work the way we believe it will, hopefully we can begin to bring some of these to, a, to as much of a positive conclusion as you can get. You said prosecutors. I know um, Clint Davis, our county attorney, mm -hmm. involved. Um, but these cases tend mostly to be felony cases. Right. They're going to be at the district attorney's level. Uh, a, a new district attorney, Jenny Palmer, took over here in January. This is her first month. But as she came in, one of her campaign promises was she was going to um, be very active in prosecuting these type of cases. She was going to be uh, aggressive. Right. In prosecuting these kind of cases, and every time I've talked to Miss Palmer, that's what she told me. Exactly, and again, it's that coordinated um, relationship that built between these independent departments that are making this happen. And having a 
deputy that it's assigned to the child advocacy center to Maggie's house um, will make this so much easier because they'll be there to help the other agencies. They'll be there to help run the interviews. They'll be there so that if there's a question that needs to be asked, they can feed those questions to the interviewer so the right. interviewer can ask them. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's going to make it easier all around to prosecute these kind of cases. And, um, as I said earlier today, it, it's, impressive to me that this particular program shows how dedicated leadership in yes. the county is about trying to combat these kind of crimes. Exactly. I mean, we're trying to take care of home, and it's with that motivation that the individually elected separate will work together, um, not only for the greater good, but to help these children. Yeah, and unfortunately, this is a big problem in Henderson County. Like you it said, is. the Child Advocacy Center, 311 different cases, different interviews, different children that they right. had to uh, work with in 2020. Um, and here's the thing, by the way, folks. I mean, Henderson County has a real problem with this, but Henderson County. It's not unique. Isn't, isn't, it isn't no. that Henderson County is bad. It's that this problem is bad. It is. And I always go a bit on the other way and get told to get off my soapbox now and then. But it's a direct reflection of the direction our society is, turn, is turning, and we have to act as a break on it. And the Every time I talk to the um, sheriff, we talk about the fact that um, drugs mm -hmm. and um, uh, alcohol abuse and substance abuse is such a big problem in our community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times these types of crimes are directly related to substance abuse problems, That's right. which is directly related to problems in our society. Exactly. And, you know, throughout Henderson County, throughout East Texas, throughout the state of Texas, throughout the United States, it is a continual blight. And so one of the things people say, I know um, the question becomes, because I've asked it, mm -hmm. we kidded a little bit about the about the fiscal year and other things. Right. But I've asked it multiple times. Um, we have these problems. We know we have these problems. Whose job is it to stand up and lead? Mm -hmm. Because I keep on waiting for someone to stand up and say, "We're going to take the lead and try to do something when it comes to this." Right. This is a big problem, and people stood up and led. Yeah, exactly. You said, who is going to point it out? Who is going to build the energy to get these type of things uh, instituted? And you're exactly right. I'm proud of what has been able to do here by the multiple leaders that have been involved. Well, kudos to the uh, Henderson County Help Center. Yes. The Henderson County Help Center is actually going to pay yes. the um, vast majority of the salary for the Deputy, even though the deputy is still going to be a deputy with right. the sheriff's office, still going to be an employee of the sheriff's office, the help center is paying a large chunk of that salary so that they can have right. that particular deputy on, on site. Um, the sheriff's office is going to handle everything from the sheriff's office side. Um, they're still going to be a deputy. They're still working with the sheriff's office right. and all. They're still a member of the sheriff's office, but they're going to be – allowed to work independently, as it were, especially right. with the district attorney and Jenny Palmer, who has created her own division That's just right. for this. So it, it's, it's, 
it's sad that we need to do this, but I'm very happy to see that this is being done. Yes, sir. All right. So let's move on because uh, we're moving on to another important thing, but not as morally important <laughs> as, uh, not as heavy. what we just talked about. Not as heavy. Uh, but you've been working on some new subdivision rules, specifically where it comes about uh, these new tiny homes and stuff like that. I think there's a public hearing going to be set and going to be coming up. Tell us where we're at on that. Right. Um, the public hearing will be February the 9th, I believe at 925 is when it is set for. And this will be an opportunity for individuals to come speak on the subject to the court. And um, we do have the draft version available Um our county attorney has gotten that available to everyone, and I encourage folks to look into it. But basically, the um, state laws of Texas give the responsibility to commissioner's court on development in land division and land use to a certain degree, very limited on land use, but it's in that division where that responsibility and authority is placed upon commissioner's court, no matter if it is, you hear us talk about public road maintenance and private road maintenance. That has no bearing in this. It's about the division of land. And when we, as we've developed over the years from a lake community of small camping lots that turned into second residence to now primary homes and some um, individuals in different sorts there is now a development push for a scaled down version which has become the fad over the last couple of years which is tiny homes prior to tiny homes it was mobile home parks which uh, Henderson County had never actually ventured into we stayed in the land division of subdivision development but now with the increase of development becoming in these um, smaller footprint and rental communities, it's become time for the county to begin to address those. And that's what we're working here because you can take and rent a space for a tiny home, which would be considered less than 400 feet in a square feet in size, all the way up to what is a traditional mobile home. And there needs to be infrastructure in place to adequately support those types of developments. And that is what we are looking at so that you don't get a um, what we used to refer to as a colonial-style development that just somebody went in there and started parking trailers and didn't even lay in a road, may uh, have one water meter feeding 15 houses that they're paying rent on for maybe by the week. This is so that we can address those types of issues. I remember my first um, experience with this kind of stuff was doing a story on a mobile home park um, between here, between Athens and Malakoff. Yes. That um, had several um, had several mobile homes on a septic system that was nowhere no, adequate for what was going on. Exactly. Um, and if I remember at that time, there were no rules in place right. to allow even the county to step in and say, hey, this is a problem. Right. And so that's what we're talking about with these rules. And it is. It's about future developments, sustainable development. I mean, individuals, if don't tend to think about access in. If you have one way in and one way out and say there's 50 individual residents in there and there's a fire on the fifth house going in, you've just blocked in everybody in that community. So if there's no regulations upon um, ingress and egress of how you get in and out, it can become a life safety issue. 
So there's a, it's multifaceted, and we are believe we have something that is sustainable and that will actually be an asset to help as we develop further. All right, and so when I hear uh, what we're talking about and, and when I hear what this is about, it seems to me that the main people who are going to be really interested in this are developers. Mm -hmm. um, this is not the kind of thing. It's important. Very. But it's not the kind of thing that the average person is going to be investigating. This is one of those things where when they go uh, rent or buy a tiny home or a mobile home, they're just going to be glad that it's in place. Right. If you're a developer, where can you find the proposed rules? At the county attorney's office. Um, he is making it available for those that are wishing to um, to inspect and view. Uh, the reason this is so important, and when we originally rewrote the subdivision regulations, the the current regulations, when we put those in place in 2008, um, some interesting stuff was found out as, you know, you look over here in Navarro County, Richland Chambers, that lake. And it was found out um, during that time that there were two lakes that the state of Texas learned how not to develop around. One of those was Lake Tawakini, and the other one was Cedar Creek Lake. And it really drove home the point of having good rules in place prevent so much um, undesirable growth that is non-sustainable to the future. Um, I, I, I am a uh, big fan of the Cedar Creek Lake area. Oh, I am too. And, I am too. Um, I was the editor of the Cedar Creek Pilot for many, re many years. Yes. Um, but I understand exactly what you're talking about, the – the one defining characteristic of the zoning around Cedar Creek Lake is that there is no zoning around right. Cedar Creek Lake. And it's very interesting because you've got Gun Barrel City and then you've got Seven Points and you've got Maybank. And if you don't know where they start or end, if you're just driving through and you're not familiar with the area, you think they're all the same. Right, And then there are these little pockets on the lake that nobody knows about or, or they're little pockets of the lake, but they're not inside any of the cities mm -hmm. and they have no rules whatsoever. Exactly. And the development there is hodgepodge mm -hmm. at best. At best. And they're spotted in between the bigger cities of Eustis and Maybank and right. Gun Barrel and Seven Points who now have rules in place. Right. But they don't they don't apply to these places. They don't. Those are those are municipal rules inside the jurisdiction of those locations. But you know, there is a um, broad width of different types of developments. There's some fantastic developments that took place over the last 30, 40 years of Cedar Creek Lake. Sure. But it is, you have to understand, those were developed off of a two-page, mind you, they were two pages, and one full page was built, was designed on how you build an oil sand road. Right. With no... Um, description of, you know, drainage aspects, uh, water availability, sure. you know, sewer. Um, you, one thing you've heard us say a lot, a lot, the last lot to sell 
in a subdivision of that era is the drainage this, lot. This is the one where all the water is going some, to end up. someone buys it and builds a house, and the first thing they do is call the commissioner going, there's water coming in my front door. Right. And it's that type of development that you take those issues into account to prevent that type of, of situations happening in the first place. Because once they'll say, and once the horse is out of the barn, once that um, development is approved, have no more authority over. Yeah, there's that so. there's that phrase that I just I just really can't stand hearing sometimes. It's, I, grandfathered in. I'm grandfathered in. Yes, I'm I, grandfathered. Oh, right. Grandpop would have known better. Yeah, I mean, and <laughs> n- none of us like being told what to do. Sure. But, but when you look back uh, 40 years ago, if you had a, um, the filing fee, I think, was $10, uh, 20 acres in a bulldozer, uh, you had a subdivision. There you go. So. All right. Now, we're going to move on. Uh, by the way. If you really want to look at those plans, you can find them at the county attorney's office. Yes. And the public hearing where you'll get a chance to be heard. If you have anything to say about this, February 9th, um, that's a Tuesday, which means Commissioner's Court starts at 9 o'clock. The public hearing will be on the agenda about 9.20ish. But just go to public, just go to the Commissioner's Court hearing, go to the meeting, and the public hearing will be in it. If you don't want to show up, you can catch us on YouTube at Henderson County Admin. Yeah, but can you talk during it when you're watching it on YouTube you like that? You can come through. We still have the Zoom product in place that you can, if you wish to make comments, that you can come in through Zoom as well. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So we're going to move on. We're going to wrap this up. Um, uh, as far as I know, we're still in a pandemic. Yes, sir. Uh, however, the um, hospitalization news has been pretty positive over the last week or so. It has. I mean, we're about 180 off of our highs, which took place, what, um, January 7th. You know, we've come down 180 hospitalizations within the TSAG, which, again, is our 19-county region that the state um, blocks everyone into in our region. So we are seeing some fall off. It's about 25, 26 percent, um, whereas the state in general has fallen by about 6 percent. So it's it's really positive news at this point. So the further we get away from the holidays, which uh, appear when you look at the data is what has kind of driven um, what we believe happened with the hospitalizations coming up so much now that we've moved further and further from that, we're seeing it tailing off not only in the hospitalizations but in some degree on the testing side. Yeah, and so we've dropped like seven out of six out of the last seven days. Um, yesterday we were at 504. Um, dropping under 500 would make me so happy. Could you? And we're looking at your very cool <laughs> spreadsheet. Can we move over and take a look at the percentage? I haven't been able to check today um, where oh, yes. we're at. Uh, a little over 16%. Uh, 16.34, which is still the lowest that we've been since before Christmas as far as the percentage. Uh, yeah, it doesn't so even show up. It doesn't up on show this up on your days, thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, last I checked, it was about uh, December 22nd. Was it? Yeah. And so it's the lowest in a month. Yeah. Um, pretty close to the same with the hospitalization. It's all really positive. Not so positive. 
um, is the fact that our death toll keeps on climbing. Last I checked yesterday, we were at 115, um, which means according to uh, the Department of State Health Services, 25 people in Henderson County have died in January due to COVID. Yeah, and I hate to, it's actually 119 is what it went to. And and I really point that out because. Yeah, that um, was just yesterday. Yeah, see, yeah, yesterday yeah. was 115. Yeah, yesterday. And so now we're up to 119 just from yesterday. And, and it is that, that is the thing that really drives the point home. When you look at it, I can't ever remember of a time in the 50 years I've been in Harris County where you can say, we had 119 deaths related to something. I, I just, I, I cannot remember a time we said this was 119 deaths. And, of course, you can argue what it was. Yeah. But, but I, I have lost family members, um, and so many people out there have lost family members that know that um, this, you can survive the pneumonia, um, but then there's the blood clotting issues that add other other things to it. So um, it is still uh, out there. It is still something we need to be aware of and continuing to follow all the protocols as we move through, even in the time of the vaccine, because the vaccine that we're going to get into is still not readily available. Right, right. Um, yeah, 119 deaths in Henderson County. Oh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Yes. That means, uh, so we're up to 29 um, deaths in January, according to DSHS. Yeah. Um, the most deadly month during the pandemic off the top of my head um, that we've had. Right. Um, and again, when we say, hey, we're, we're happy because hospitalizations are coming down, it's really easy to get a little sidetracked and forget the fact that 504 is almost twice as much as we had in July when we had our first spike and everybody was like, wow, we got to stop this. We got to stop this. We're twice as high as that. I think somehow we've just gotten used to those kind of numbers. We have. It's become that, you know, we're, we're closing in on a year. March the 15th was when the governor declared an emergency, March the 15th of 2020, and we're coming in at the end of January now, and we've become um, acclimated to being in a pandemic. And, of course, whenever – I love the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Um, We have to continue on with this because uh, we definitely want to see those fatality numbers come down. All right, and so one of the things people are putting a lot of hope in is the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about the vaccine. Is there any new updates this week? Last time we spoke, um, the uh, county had heard from DSHS to be ready for a a mobile uh, vaccine clinic that would be held at the uh, fairgrounds, but... Didn't know when that was going to be. Right. And so a sign-up sheet was established mm-hmm. for people to sign up. Where are we with that process? Has anything new happened? No, nothing really ha- new has happened. Uh, we are almost up to 1,500 
that have signed up. And um, these are individuals from all over the vast, vast majority is Henderson County people signing up because um, there is no restriction upon where you can get the vaccine. So as you know, and everyone's aware of is uh, NetHealth has their clinic. Um, Kaufman County is um, through the efforts of um, Representative Bell and them are um, trying to get one stood up as well. That is a, a more of a hub whereas ours is a pop-up clinic, um, you can sign up anywhere. The important part is is that wherever you get your first shot from is where you get your second shot due to the reporting requirements for the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine because it is a two-shot inoculation. So if you're in Henderson County and you get your first shot in Tyler, you're going to have to get your second shot in Tyler. You can't get your first shot in Tyler and your second shot here. That's exactly right. And for this pop-up clinic, as DSHS called it, it would be for a first-time inoculation uh, or first shot. Um, And it is following with the protocols of 1A and 1B, which 1A being our health care and frontline workers, and then your 1Bs being the 65 and older with certain health conditions. So uh, when we look at the uh, population and how many people have actually gotten the um, gotten the vaccine so far, when we look at Henderson County, the number is not high. It's less than 4%, I believe. It is. It's right at 4% right now, which is running just slightly below um, some of our surrounding counties. There's there's one or two that yeah, are, are below us, but no yeah, one is. Nobody's low. It's not like we're at 4% and somebody's at 50%. It's right. there at like. Six, right. Well, seven. Smith County as is at eight yeah, percent on, well, on that health, initial dose. Net health, health right you have uh, Christus Mother Francis, you have all of the assets, and that's what you see across the board. Sure. Where you have these urban centers, there are more providers that are willing to um, provide this, whereas out in the rural community, DSHS has that one map that shows it all, and you either see a blue dot or a red dot, and the blue dot means there are shots available, and a red dot means there are none. It's a sea of red, and when you get into the urban areas, there are a lot of dots. When you move out of the urban areas into the rural parts of Texas, they become spread out and sparse. So it's what we've talked about for the last two weeks, and that is that there's not a lot of vaccine available. And for the vaccine that is available, there's not a lot of providers. That's right. You know, um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Texas ranked 47th per capita out of the 50 states as far as vaccine being made available. And they are expecting a continual amount of three uh, 330,000 initial vaccines every week. And at that rate, it would take a year and a half yeah. to inoculate 29 million people. Yeah, this is going to take a while. It's going to take it's a while. It's going to take a while. So that means, folks, that we're going to have to continue trying to do the things that we know. That's right help and that we've talked about since the very beginning and that we've had political battles over and families have had fist fights over and it's just been terrible but the best way is to social distance wash your hands and wear a mask when you can't social distance that's right it's it's 
It's the one thing I that we can do. I don't know how many times that we can say it. I don't know how many times it can be put out. I don't know how many. Like, no, a mask <laughs> is not perfect. No, it's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes it, but it helps. Is it perfect? No, but it helps. Right. 119 people are dead. Why would you not want to help? But that's right. just me. Well, until the vaccination manufacturing, the vaccine manufacturing gets to a point where it is readily available, we have to continue on. Uh, there's Hope Johnson and Johnson with the, I believe they call it the Janssen vaccine, which is a viral vector, which is more traditional style of a vaccine, is hopefully going before the FDA soon to get that same emergency authorization as the Pfizer Moderna, which are the mRNA, the, the right. newer type of vaccine technology. All right, and so, but but regardless, we're talking about the the fact that there are a whole lot of people that need the vaccine. There's not a lot of vaccine, and even if yeah. you bring on Johnson and Johnson today, they've right. got to start creating the vaccine, and it's just not going to be a whole bunch of it available right away. Right, and so keep um, calm and move forward. That's it. That's I mean, what we do. There, there, there's no easy answer to this. Um, if there was enough vaccine that we could go around and give it to everybody, right. that's what would be happening. Right. If but we, it's just not available. It's not. And they're, they're, it's restricted because it's, it is under an emergency authorization, whereas if we had had years development, who knows, you may, be able, may have been able to get this as you would a flu shot at a pharmacy. We sure. just walk in, boom. You're and, done. And, and we might get to that. We may. We may yeah. get to that. I fully expect us to I, be to that point. Yeah, I expect that to happen. As we've said I, before, it, we won't have the flu season anymore. It's COVID season. Yeah, but it won't, it won't happen next week. No, it won't. It won't happen next week. All right. Well, folks, we're going to wrap up with that. I want to thank the judge for giving us a chance to come in and, and find out what's going on in our county government uh over the past week or so and hey isn't it nice we even got to describe what county government was a little bit i I know that you enjoy that whole we you and i will agree always on one thing we need more civics education we really do you know um I, I believe I've had a break in my children. I've got some other ones coming up, but um, we used to teach Texas history in Texas and where you got somewhat of an understanding of Texas government. I hope we're still doing that because it's more complex and a completely different beast than what you have at the federal level. Uh, or at the city level. Or at the city level, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I say over and over again, and I will stick to this, um, you know what? Yeah, okay, I get Washington, D.C. is going crazy and everything else. Right. But I still say that city, the city council, the school board. Yes, sir. And the county commissioners have more to do yep. with my daily life and yep. my day-to-day existence than my congressman does. Preach my it. congressman has almost nothing to do. If we go to war, my congressman's going to be there to vote. <laughs> Right. But when it comes to whether I've got clean water, whether I have roads to drive on, whether mm-hmm. police are showing up at my house, whether it's a fire department to put it out to fire, how much my taxes are, that's going to be my city council, my school board, and my commissioner's court. Amen. 
They, so <laughs> that's what I think. I wish I wish everybody would pay a heck of a lot more attention to uh, uh, Henderson County and a lot less attention to Washington D.C. But that's just my opinion. That's right. You know, we can, you know, policy wonks. I can take you as deep in the weeds as you want to go with county government. All right. So that's it for this week, folks. Thank you for listening. Judge, thank you. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Michael.